Let's talk to interesting people. Let's talk about the process of seeing things differently. Let's talk about the craft of molding truth and fiction together to arrive at something new and exciting. And let's have fun while doing it. Welcome to the True Fiction Podcast. Welcome to the True Fiction Podcast, a place where we dive deep in the minds of incredibly talented and creative individuals and try to unravel the mysteries behind their inspirations. I'm your host, Patrick Boggs, and joining me on this fantastic journey is my co-host, the magnanimous Marshall. How's it going tonight, Marshall? Oh, I'm doing great, Pat. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm going to jog your memory. Not very far, but our guest tonight is somebody that we just recently seen and blew our socks off. So tonight our guest is a very talented musician, singer, composer, producer, performer, and the founder CEO of Femme Fatale record label. Her music incorporates elements of multiple genres, including industrial, electro-industrial, goth electro, punk electro, electronic rock, and synthwave. And it doesn't sound like anything other than her own woman army, Ayatoya. True Fiction welcomes Ayatoya to the show. How's it going tonight? Very good. Thank you so much for having me. Ah, we were just thrilled that you accepted our invitation. So I just want to give the listeners a little bit of background real quick. Mm -hmm. We went to see one of our lifetime favorite bands, Stabbing Westward, and we were treated with Ayatoya. She also was there with the band. She's a phenomenal musician. You can see some of the energy that she has on stage by looking at some of her videos, which are on YouTube and on her site. She is just this frenetic ball of energy and lightning. Her show's amazing. Her music is top-notch and very heartfelt. First, we're going to start out about, you're from Poland, is that correct? Yes, you were musically trained, but what was the music that you listened to? What was the thing that inspired you? It was everything, literally. When I was super young, before I even remember, it would be classical music. That's what my parents told me because this was the only way I would fall asleep. <laughs> oh, wow. So they had to play <laughs> classical music and then I would be in my bliss and fall- falling asleep immediately. But other than that, I loved listening to blues and jazz, m- metal, but like, heavy metal, both metal, creator or sepultura were my gem. And I was very young when I was like preschool young and then school young. Uh, so it was definitely different than most of my colleagues same age would be listening to. And uh, and then it was just the same thing until today because I I still listen to different stuff and to what inspires me it's literally like what touches me. And it could be jazz music, but it can be metal music. It's definitely a lot of industrial music because of the sounds that uh, industrial bands use. But it can also be R&B, Shade, stuff like that. So I am all over the place with my inspirations, but my creative process is mostly inspired by my own journey, my own emotions, my own feelings, and then observation of the world outside. That's what inspires my writing. Your logo is a peace sign mixed with the anarchy sign. So yes. it and symbolizes your rebel psyche? Definitely, yes. So anybody who knows me in person, they know that I am very peaceful, and, but also very rebellious. So yeah, I don't like establishment too much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like order too much. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm very organized. This kind of two contradictions 
I are just perfect representation of who I am because I am full of contradictions on almost every area of my life. In your show, it seems so frenetic, but it has to be so well planned in time the way that you do it. I just think that is just amazing that your show symbolizes that contradiction as well. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. When did you come over to the States? So I came over after I finished school. It was basically 2006. And uh, so I've been in America for a while. I've been traveling back and forth a lot to finish my school obligations there in my country. But I already knew that I'm going to get my roots started in this country because it just had a lot of potential. I felt like it's nothing like Poland in this regards, especially for musicians. You can really find like a lot of equipment. That's where we start. In Poland, it was very hard to find equipment and to be able to buy it for the money you would make there. Versus here, you just work a week and you can buy a bunch of stuff. Wow. So it was, for me, it was like a no-brainer that I need to be here and I need to work for my dream. And it's been a long journey. First, I had to actually survive. So my life, when I moved here, started from literally first spoon, first mug, from garage sale. And I was living in an unlivable basement <laughs> where it's not even legal to live, but that's where I would be wow. just to save up my money. I worked three jobs. So basically was working like 20 hours a day and just to be able to do what I do today. And yeah, should we go? <laughs> you you actually did pretty well when you got here. I don't, uh, I'm not sure where the school is, but the SAA Institute where you graduated Val Victorian in 16. Yes. But congratulations. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that just lets me know how driven you are about this. As I was waiting to talk to you the other night, I was talking to a friend of yours, somebody that was working with you, and he was talking about how all the lights were created by you because you couldn't buy those off the shelf. And so you created the lights yourself. Oh, yes. So I had to build custom towers, like custom tents and everything, just to be able to create a show that is easy to set up and easy to tear down without spending hours to connect and disconnect everything. So it was a process. I started with fixtures being separate and then I figured it's not going to work because it just takes too long. And I also wanted that kind of vertical design because I felt like it's going to translate much better all my ideas that I have in my head for people to see. And so, yeah, so now I have those towers. It took a while. I actually spent majority of pandemic building these. <laughs> now they serve me very well. I love these towers. I love my lights. Yeah. <laughs> They're my bandmate, basically. <laughs> The polish on your production was just amazing. And I also thought it was interesting where your mic stand or your mic that was hooked up to your, I don't know if it was a processor keyboard, but it, it was made out of a knife. And I thought that was oh, yeah. very interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is like a samurai knife, samurai in parentheses from Amazon, <laughs> but it's uh, polished so that it's not sharp and then spray painted. And then I added gears. From Etsy, one of the artists made those gears and just welded it together to create something unique, something that I can have fun with and something that will just represent the whole idea. <laughs> Absolutely. Hook, line, and seeker, I'm in. You've got your album Code Blue out, I, and I love it. And the other thing I really like is 
all the uh, mixes that you have about your different songs. I just love to hear a different people interpreting other people's music. Yeah. How does that work with you? How do you get people to do it? Or do people just offer to do it? Or do you seek people out? Or how does that go? So usually I do reach out to people or I do, for this one, I made a post on social media basically saying, hey, I'm about to start looking for people to remix uh, Code Blue album. So if anyone is interested, please reach out. And that's how it started. But to a couple people, like I have some big names on this remix uh, record, Tim Scott or uh, Rice Fulber. I reached out to them and asked if they would be interested in doing the remix for me. And uh, they did. And yeah, so now the remixes are part of the album. <laughs> it's really cool. Thank you. You've been here since 2006, but it seems like you've really cemented yourself in that music scene. I know that you were a member of the post-industrial supergroup, The Joy Thieves. How did yes. that come about? It came about right after I officially started Ayatoya. So wow. Ayatoya came to life in 2018 when I dropped Code Blue Record late 2018. And then I've had my first show. And at the same time, Dan Milligan, who was my friend for a couple of years, and we talked online a lot, and we always looked to work together. And Dan Milligan, as you probably know, is a founder of The Joy Thieves. And so he just asked me, hey, do you want to do something with The Joy Thieves? And uh, I'm like, cool. We covered Cities in Dust, originally done by Shuxi and the Banshees. And that's how I became a Joy Thief. <laughs> Very nice. You're in a great group of musicians. Now, I see that there were people that were on that were like people from The Killing Joke, Pig Face, the Ministry, and also Stabbing Westward. Is, is that how your relationship with Stabbing Westward started? Huh. I know because the Stabbing Westward wasn't even, I don't think they even were part of the Joy Thieves. When I started talking with Stabbing Westward, we were connected by our mutual photographer friends. And it was very nice because one day I released my pandemic EP out of order. And then one day I see and I see that Stabbing Westward bought that album of my band camp. And it was just this transcendent experience because I'm a huge fan of Stabbing Westward since forever. Sure. And they've just... Uh, they are huge for me. They, they are my absolute idols. And I saw this and I thought it's some kind of a glitch. It's, it can't be. <laughs> but then it seemed like it was uh, real. And then shortly after, I got an email from their booking agent offering. Actually, it was before that. I'm mixing the dates. Before the pandemic, I got an email from their booking agent to perform two shows with them. And of course... I was uh, very excited about this. And then pandemic happened. So the shows got canceled. Oh, yeah. So that was like, I don't know. It was first shock wave. And then second shock wave was when they bought my album. And then, yeah, and then we just started. Oh, and then Walter and his wife, they came to my Chicago show last year. And that's how we met in person. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. Yes. And yeah, and ever since we started talking about making some music together. You've already made the album, the new album. It's just not quite yet. Quite yet. yet. I'm, wor I'm working on it. Yes. So I demoed all my songs. So I produced my demo 
And then I met with Walter and this upcoming record will be produced with him. And so we have three singles that are sealed, but there is seven more to do. So we're just working on them. The process has been interrupted because we've been both very busy this year. I've been touring nonstop and so was stabbing westward. So, you know, there wasn't that much time to actually do studio thing, but uh, I am planning to wrap this whole record by the end of the year and gotcha. then release it next year. But first I'm going to release some singles. So I'm going to drop Panic Room single in a fall this year, very soon. Nice. I can't wait. And um, then the next single will come out early next year, probably followed by one or two more singles before I drop the whole record. Oh, that's awesome. That is so cool. Now, you, as you say, you are a one-woman army. How does it feel to work with Walter now, have, having a new, a different producer or uh, somebody else to, to work with? It's just very different, and I love it. Honestly, it's very interesting. He definitely adds uh, depth to my process, and he also represents a different perspective. So uh, I've been, and as a rebel, I've been anti-hook, even though my songs have certain hooks, but yeah. uh, Walter inspires me to do more hooks. So there is going to be more hooks <laughs> in the stuff that is coming up. But it's just also, I always had in me, I've always wanted to achieve a more rock sounding record. And it's been hard for me on my own. So my stuff was more like electronic in its own base. And I felt the new record that will be coming out next year, that has more edge, has more rock edge, which to me personally is a fantastic achievement. I'm very proud of this. I'm so happy that that this sounds like that. And it's a, a big thanks to Walter because he is adding that edge to that music. So, yeah. That's so cool. And I definitely look forward to it. I can't wait to hear the new singles either. Um, Yay. <laughs> well, and I talked to you about this when I met you. I said, I felt like you had, I felt like you had plan. You really, to me, when I seen you on stage, you really felt like there was something special there that you were working with and uh, trying to say, and I really appreciated that. Then I, I found out that you worked really closely with social awareness and causes. Can you talk about that a bit, if you don't mind, talking about the uh, being a suicide loss survivor? Of course, absolutely. Yeah, I lost my mom to suicide and it was very unexpected. It was very traumatic and just very hard mm, because she was my best friend and she was also my mom, which uh, mm, you have only one mom and then when you don't have her, then it's just hard. She moved to America. So she was here in the United States and we've been very close. And uh, the moment I lost her, I lost sense of home. I could not feel like I have any place that I belong anymore. It was just, just very difficult to overcome this loss. But, but yeah, eventually I figured mental health is probably like the most important part of humanity. Because when you break your leg, you break your arm, you go to doctor and they fix it for you. But when you break your mind, it's hard to see what's wrong. And yeah, so I guess for me, my mom never really showed signs that were so obvious that something is wrong, that she is unhappy, that she's suffering, mm. that there is pain in her that she cannot bear. And so I figured I, I could sit and mourn for forever 
or I could do something about it. So I started writing Cold Blue album and just getting this pain out so that I can survive my own pain, this whole situation. Because otherwise, if not Cold Blue, I think Cold Blue album honestly saved me because there was just so much going on in terms of not being able to deal with the consequences of losing my mom that if I didn't put this record out, if I didn't write it, I truly believe that I would go crazy. So yeah, this album, the first record, Code Blue, I was donating 15% of all the money that this record made to American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. I did the same thing with my following EP and with the remix album of Code Blue. And then recently, last year actually, I started doing my own thing. I started doing the 988 number came out. Uh, crisis line. In America. So it's like a crisis line number where people can now call and uh, seek help. And I feel like this is just so fantastic. It's such a big breakthrough because I cannot but wonder if this number existed when my mom was struggling. Perhaps I would still have her. Right. So it's such a, such a great deal for me that uh, it's here now that uh, I started doing my own bracelets and just giving them away to people in hopes that these bracelets will just carry that message and just help. So now it's the thing. And with my new album, I think I'm going to continue raising the money and awareness for this particular cause and this particular crisis line just because I think it's a huge development for all of us. Oh, absolutely. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. I'm just hoping that because of what you went through that and all the help you've done so far, there's, you're saving other people. So I think that's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. I think that's what my mom would want. I figured it's like she's doing it through me. You know what I nice. mean? Yeah. So it gives their death a meaning. And that's what I want to continue doing well, that's awesome so you've also done some stuff for uh, industrial music to cure cancer electronic saviors oh yes oh yes i was invited by uh, jim semonic of distortion productions to participate in this amazing glorious cause and so one of my songs actually the remix version of that song because they've been doing it for a while now and it's such a strong incredible powerful cause and uh, with a big how to say, it's scope. They really were able to reach so many people and change lives. And I hope they continue doing it forever. I know that Jim was mentioning that it would stop for a while, but I have a feeling it will not stop. <laughs> I think the passion and the need will continue carrying this cause and this next volumes of electronic savers. I hope so. It's so interesting to me that the music of Stabbing Westward and Nine Inch Nails and the Clay People, but these it's in Synodic, it's the dark stuff. But but all these bands of this type of music, electronic, dark metal wave or electronic, are coming out to help in these just amazing benefits to help suicide prevention or cure cancer. I think this is just so beneficial. I had such a different idea when I seen. Stabbing Westward. I don't know if I've ever seen a band that cared so much about their fans. Yes. Yes. 
right? It's truly magical. I was mesmerized by by all this when I witnessed. I, I was honored to witness this, and it's because this band is filled with beautiful people, and so is their audience. It's just the beauty all over the place. It's magical. It definitely was, and I want to say this too that I thought. You blew me away as well because after your set, you came right down in the audience and partied with all of us. And I thought that was so cool. And it just felt like we were all having a, a big party. It was the, amazing. Yes, I loved it. <laughs> when are you planning to go back on the road? So I have one show next weekend, the 23rd of September. But this is a private show that I was hired to play in Chicago for Underground Art Gallery of Chicago. So this event will be a local thing that I'm going to do. And then for a while, I'm going to be just here, preparing my record, working on upgrading my live show with new songs and continuous production stuff with Walter. And I'm going back on the road in October for Dark City Fest in New Orleans that I have a pleasure to headline. Uh, Saturday, October 22nd. So that will be adventurous. I can't wait because I love New Orleans. I was just there finishing my West Coast tour in New Orleans and uh, in May. And uh, the city is just so awesome. So I can't wait to go there. And my crew and I will spend a couple days there. My dog is coming. Benek is coming with us. We're going <laughs> to roam the streets of New Orleans. There you <laughs> <just> go. <laughs> The video star, Benick. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, our Benick, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> My puppy that's 11 years old now, but he's puppy forever. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> when you write, do you need to be in a special place? Do you write best at night, in the morning? Do you have to be in a certain mood? Or is there anything that kickstart your writing? It's always uh, very random. It's almost like I should not be writing during that time that it's happening. That inspiration hits me. It's when I'm driving and suddenly the idea will come to my head. So I installed recorder on my phone so that I can just instantly record the ideas with my voice without uh, typing and getting into accidents. So that's one. Cooking. I'm cooking dinner and it's crazy. These inspirations were just poor. I feel like when I'm relaxed, I'm the most able to connect with myself and just like process things that are important to me at the given time and place. And that's where I start writing. But then this is lyrics and melodies. Some sort of arrangement usually come with that. So I try to record all of this together so that I don't forget. And then I uh, come down to my studio, which um, I now have in my home, in my basement. And then I start production actual composition and uh, picking up key and the tempo and then the music and like trying to figure out some melody and just arrangement with the drums and then the synths and then the bass and all the glitches and the cool stuff and leave a place for voice. And oftentimes I get guided by the idea that I initially write, but then the idea keeps changing as I add the production when I uh, build the song on the composition side. So that process is just like that, exactly. Like that, it starts randomly and then I got to focus and just build it up. So, yeah. 
do you ever struggle with writing songs like encounter writer's block and if so what do you do to get out of that i don't think i've ever actually struggled to write and it's mostly like a little part when i um, when i want to achieve something with the song and i have this one part that i don't like and i want to change it and so it's now forced right it's not the natural thing that i usually do uh, for example with out of order this happened to me when i was writing out of order song and i uh, wanted to make it like a rhyme and and i wanted to create a visual uh, representation of what i was feeling and i came up with this awesome line i think it's awesome i'm proud of this line it's the cage around my head but they call it a crown but it would not come to me for weeks so oh. i tried to come up with something cool and something that will uh, be the exact visual representation of what i wanted to say and i couldn't i was coming up with all this nonsense that i just couldn't put in my song and then suddenly this came in the most random moment again. <laughs> and I'm That's like, awesome. all right, I have it. So I guess I do struggle here and there a little bit when I uh, fine-tune stuff. That's where sometimes I will sit on that one part for a while and try to come up with something and it doesn't come to me. So I have to leave it and do something else and then come back to it. But overly, I love being creative and I usually write every day. Every day I have some kind of idea so I store them. And then oftentimes I will go back to those ideas when I struggle and try to use one of those older ideas. You know what I mean? Like uh, just insert the conceptual sure. thing that I've written before. And uh, sometimes it works. Sometimes it works perfect. Sometimes I have to keep tweaking it. But yeah, that's just, that's my process. It's crazy. So I think that's a great process, by the way. That line is awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. I notice this in a lot of your music, or at least what I've, I've listened to. It's unspecific enough that I can put myself in the music. You know what I'm saying? I understand it on my level, not just on what you're saying. And it may be t mean something totally different to you, but I really appreciate that it's unspecific enough that I feel there's a, some ownership for myself as a listener. Oh, that's my absolute. Th this is uh, how I want it. I've always wanted to create something that people can relate to. So don't, uh, leave the free kind of represent space for interpretation. And uh, oftentimes when I write, it's like I can feel and see with my intentions that uh, there is three different layers of meanings that are not connected, but that they serve this particular song. And yeah, I love doing that. I love that. And I'm so happy that you said what you said and that's uh, how you feel. Because this is exactly what I'm aiming for. Oh, you're nailing it. Yeah, so that's awesome. <laughs> it's perfect. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I've really been enjoying the music. Do you ever, I know you do some acoustic stuff. I know there's an album, you have acoustic music. Yes, I released it last year at The Ghosts, just like a short EP. Yes. How hard is that to do? Because you have such a different... A mix of things, I should say. You have this bombastic stuff, and then you have this super clean vocal will come in, and then you'll have this grungy drum part, and, and then it'll be affected, your voice will be affected. When you interpret this, how hard is that to interpret into acoustic? It's not really hard, because, you know, when I start my writing process, oftentimes I will sit just with my guitar and the piano and uh, write. 
So my songs, before they become what they become, they are usually very stripped down. Gotcha. Then I built the production part where I'm adding all those elements, all those glitchy and fun things. But uh, usually they are just the bass. So I'm looking for like a chord and like a cool melody. So this, then it's going back in reverse, which brings me back to the start of the process. So it's actually not hard at all. It's the opposite of hard. It's easy. Yeah. It's where you started. That's cool. Exactly. So I'm actually, I would love one day to be able to do like acoustic tour when I'm just performing very stripped down versions of my shows. And then my light show would be not what it is, but rather, you know, very calm setting. Everything like haunting and just, yeah, down tempo. Oh yeah. It sounds great. I would assume a fan of Nine Inch Nails. Oh yes. And. The album still, what just him and the piano was just one of the most yeah. beautiful things. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. Do it. I'll buy it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. So do you get to collaborate? No, I know now you're doing it with Walter. And I think that I'm super excited about that anyway, just to you and Walter collaborating. But do you have a lot of musician friends around where you guys just, do you ever get together with people and just jam? I have a lot of Polish people uh, that I um, and I have this Polish community because I'm Polish. Cool. And Chicago has a strong uh, sense of that. So when I came to America, I uh, quickly found Polish musicians and I started uh, doing Polish theater, music theater, like Polish um, underground performing with, uh, with while singing. And so like acting and singing. And then quickly oh, wow. from that, I started a rock band, but all Polish rock band. And then also I was a part of punk rock jazz Polish band. Oh, I wow. still have all these people. And oftentimes we do jam, we just grab guitars. We start fire pit outside and we will jam all night long. But yes, uh, that's it's one of my favorite things, honestly, just like unwinding and uh, letting music take you instead of you taking the music. So wow. very Spring experience. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. very cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Ayatoya, I don't want to take up all your night on it. You're busy recording and working on your album, and I want you to get it done because I'm ready to hear it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to tell all of my listeners to please go out and go to ayatoya.com. It's I Y A T O Y A H, ayatoya.com. You want to get some of her music? Go over to Bandcamp. She's also on Spotify, and definitely check out Code Blue, and then check out some of the other remixes she has. It's very, it's just some amazing music. And I also want to thank you for being here tonight. This has been super special for us because we were so excited. We were there to see Stabbing Westward, and then we got this amazing person that opened the show that just really got us pumped up. So I'm so happy that you came on to the show. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you for all these kind words. <laughs> for such warm reception. Thank you. Wish you nothing but the best in the future. And instead of going out on the usual music that we go out on tonight, we're going to share with you a Ayatoya song called Concrete. Thanks for being here, folks. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Goodbye, everyone.